Psalm 46. This is probably the end of a series called Destructive Lifestyles uh, about ways that we can live that are spiritual warfare, 24-7 spiritual warfare. Lifestyles we can adopt that glorify God and, and do damage to the enemy. Uh, so our, our tag verse has been hanging over it all is, is Psalm 68 verse 1. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. I've been looking at some of the ways, some of the lifestyles we can live that exalt God and cause him to arise. And at the same time, the enemy is scattered by how God is being glorified in our lives. So we've looked at sacrifice, we've looked at forgiveness, we've looked at advance, moving forward. Talked about those four lepers who who got up and walked across to the camp of the enemy. And when they did that, God amplified the sound of their feet, that it sounded like a mighty army. Uh, We've had holiness, living holy lives. Uh, We've had faith, prayer and fasting, praise. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Ruth did one on the authority of sons. And today it is be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Today is about stillness. It's about rest. It's about refusing to hurry and rush. I've wanted to do this for quite a while. But if I tried to do it probably six months ago or a year ago, I would have been in utter hypocrisy. Because I'm the most rushed, busy person on God's green earth. And I had to make some changes myself to actually feel that I could stand up and talk to you about a lifestyle that is not filled with rushing and hurrying and busyness. Uh, A Swiss psychiatrist called Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Just a lifestyle of absolute rushing, crammed full of activity and stuff. He said, it is the devil. Everything we do is getting faster. Just like you think about life 20 years ago for some of you, maybe a bit longer when you were were younger, when you were a kid. the, The acceleration of life is actually terrifying. Everything is getting quicker and quicker and quicker. So we have the fast lane. It's not actually called the fast lane, it's called the overtaking lane, but we all call it the fast lane because we want to get in there and go fast. So we've got the fast lane to allow us to move faster. We've got fast food. Now if Satan was going to take you out for dinner, this is where he would take you. Okay? (laughs) Fast food. Not real food, not enjoying company, not enjoying flavour and just life at the table, but flipping open the hatch, hand me out a bag and I'll drive off and scoff it in the car. That is, that is hurried lifestyle, high speed. We've got the express lane in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And you've done it. You've counted, haven't you? You've stood behind someone and you've looked into their basket and you've counted. And you count up to, to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And you're like, somebody calls security. This guy's got 12 things in his basket. And he's in the 10 items or less lane. 
or you sort of look at somebody else's trolley and, and you're trying to pick which, which lane will you go to and you calculate in your mind, wonder how long it will take and then you pick a lane and as you get out in front of them, you are one smug character. A big grin in your face as you sort of saunter past with your, all your bagged goods. We want speed. We've got all these gadgets to create more speed and apparently allow our lives to... To, to function more smoothly, but ultimately those gadgets just seem to be cluttering us with more and more stuff, more and more interruptions. For those of you that have young children, it can be a bit mental getting them everywhere that they need to be, all the different activities and things. Life is fast. It is so fast. And it is one of Satan's greatest attacks. According to Paul Washer, one of the greatest attacks of the enemy is to make you busy to make you hurried, to make you noisy, to make you distracted, to fill the people of God and the church of God with so much noise and activity that there is no room for prayer. There is no room for being alone with God. There is no room for silence. There is no room for meditation. Just busy. Busy, busy, busy. Do you know last Sunday night, nearly didn't happen because we were so busy. And it looked on Sunday afternoon like it was not going to happen, that we were not going to get together and open the Bible and talk about Jesus with those guys. And I was sitting on Sunday afternoon thinking, this is shocking. This is what we've longed for, prayed for, worked for, invested in relationship for, to get to this point that when we say, would you like to come and hear more about Jesus? Aye, aye, I'll come, I'll go to that. Yes, I'll be there. And then sitting there at about four or half four on Sunday afternoon thinking, this, this might not happen tonight because everybody's really busy. Busyness is a killer. It really is. John Ortberg, who, who writes... Just wonderful books, absolutely wonderful books. I'd highly recommend anything that he's written, but he's got a book called The Life You've Always Wanted, which sounds like a slightly cheesy American title, but it's actually about spiritual disciplines. It's not about selfishness. Um, And he says in that book, he says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Speed, rushing, fast, busy, no energy, no time. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. He goes on to say that for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Have you settled for a mediocre version of following Jesus? Because your life has become so crammed with busyness. And one of the places that that can happen is the church, where activity after activity after activity. John Ortberg had a conversation one time with Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was, was sort of John Ortberg's mentor. And again, Dallas Willard is a, is a profound thinker and writer. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, but one time, John Ortberg was having a conversation with Dallas, and he said to him, what do I need to do in order to be spiritually healthy? And Dallas Willard is a slow man in terms of his thinking and his speaking. He's as sharp as a knife, but he's in no rush. He's lovely to listen to. And he sat back and he paused and he pondered. And his answer was this. 
you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If you want to be spiritually healthy, if you want to walk with God and know him and live a life of purpose in the kingdom of God, you really need to eliminate hurry from your life. And that's hard work. <laughs> it really is because hurry keeps on coming back again and trying to clutter you up again. You see, busy people miss things. According to Proverbs 19 verse 2, it is not good to be hasty and miss the way. Hurried, busied people miss things. As you probably know, and I mentioned it maybe a couple of times during this message, I have taken Fridays off this year. And I've taken Fridays off to rest, not to work, but to rest. And sometimes those Fridays get hijacked by other things that I have no control over, but the majority of the time I'm able to protect them. And what I do on a Friday morning is after I've left the girls in school, I go straight to Gosford and I go for a walk around Gosford. And I was in Gosford on Friday morning and just looking at one particular patch of trees and the, the ground was just a carpet of leaves, beautifully coloured yellow, brown, red leaves on the ground and the trees just statuesque, beautiful, nice fresh frosty morning, blue sky behind the trees and I just stood and looked at it for probably only about 30 seconds. It's a lot longer than I normally would probably stop and look at something like that. And I just stood and gazed at it and I thought, there's no, no man on earth, no company on earth, no artist who, even with unlimited resources, could create something so beautiful. It, was, it just looked stunning. It was leaves on the ground and a few trees and the birds. And I stood and looked at it. But you know what? If you're busy and if you're hurried all the time, you never stop to look at stuff like that. Never stop to look at it. There's a row of beech trees on the road from Tandergee to Market Hill, there's a, there's a bend, where you're, the, the road's bending to the right, and on the left side of the road, there's a row of beech trees, quite big, and uh, I love them. And every year, I love them around about October in particular, they go this mental color of, of yellow, orange, they look like they're on fire, absolutely stunning. And I drove past them the other day, and all the leaves were off them, and I thought, I've missed it. I haven't actually seen them this year. <laughs> The leaves are gone and I've missed it. If you're in a rush, if life is full of activity, you miss things. Some of you will remember a guy called Steve Parsons that will need to get back sometime to sing for us. But he has a beautiful song on one of his albums called Sanctuary, where he writes about the beauty that's all around him. And in, in his own home, you know, what do you call it, county that he lives in in, in Cheshire in England. And there's, there's a, a line in the song... White Nancy, by the way, is a monument. I'm about to quote the line, and White Nancy is in the line of the song. It's a, it's a whitewashed monument on top of a hill in Cheshire. But in the line in the song, he, he sings, Geese rise high above White Nancy, light reflecting off her face. It takes unhurried eyes to notice where we have been placed. Unhurried eyes. How much do we miss? because we're in a hurry and we don't stop to just take in, drink in the, the beauty of what, what God has put all around us. What relationships do we neglect? Those of us that are parents, what do we miss in our, in our children as they grow because we're so, so busy? I am not familiar with the Chinese language. 
<laughs> but I read this in a book. The book said that the word busyness in Chinese, the, the symbol or the pictograph or whatever you call it for busyness, is actually the combination of two other pictographs. One of them is the symbol for heart, and the other one is the symbol for killer. And when you put the two together, you've got the symbol for busyness. Now that's, that says a lot. Heart killer. Now I'm not talking about being busy to the point that you have cardiac arrest, but how many things that you should invest your heart in get killed because of busyness? Get pushed to one side and taken away. Mark Buchanan, in a wonderful book that I'll mention again later about rest, tells the story of his mother-in-law who was, she, she moved to a different part of America during the gold rush. And the house that she moved to, there was a big rock in the back garden and it was, it was too big to move. So she decided that she would try to make a feature out of it by like sanding parts of it down and, and polishing it and, and making it look nice sitting in the back garden. And she was, she was working away at the rock one day and she noticed little specks of gold as she worked on the rock. And she started rubbing at the rock in this frenzied high-speed manner and, and more little specks of gold were appearing on the rock and she thought, I'm in, I have found gold. And she kept rubbing and rubbing and rubbing and then she noticed something was wrong. She looked at her hand and she looked at her wedding ring and it had become very thin at the bottom. And as she had rubbed and rubbed and rubbed on the rock, thinking gold was in the rock, she was actually wearing away her wedding ring. That's a profound illustration of sometimes we will go after things, craving for stuff, and all the while we are eroding the things that are so precious to us. Yeah. What do we erode? What do we miss because of our business? People who are in a hurry have an inability to love and form deep relationships because that takes time. There's no substitute for it. Gifts and other things do not substitute time with one another. People who are in a hurry neglect their gifts and their callings. If you're a busy person whose life has too much stuff in it, the things that God has gifted you for will become hobbies to you rather than your calling and your ministry. It'll just be something you do now and again when you've got a bit of free time from all the other stuff. Rather than pushing the other stuff aside and making space for God and the gifts and calling of God in our lives, we allow those things to be relegated to every now and again I do this when I get a free, a free minute or two. Busyness chokes God's word within us. Jesus told the parable of the sower and one of the seeds took root and started to grow but then it was choked by the cares of this life. You know, cares and riches and things that we run after choked the word within us. A lot of quotes this morning. Another quote is from a guy called Socrates. Not the one that played for Brazil, but a different one, philosopher. And he said, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Your life can be so busy and yet barren. No fruit. Nothing of any worth actually happening. There are two words that are used in the Bible for time. Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is about hours and minutes. People who are driven by Kronos are just mad for productivity, mad for how long will that take, what time is it worth. You know, they're just driven by the clock. Kronos is a hard taskmaster. People who work with Kairos see time as opportunity. They don't count it in hours and minutes and seconds. 
It's not a case of what time is it? How long will this take? It's more a case of what time are we in? What season are we in? What should be happening in this time? Kairos is about opportunity, about seeing God moments. Kronos is about being driven by the clock and productivity. Dallas Willard again was asked to describe Jesus in one word. And he did his usual thing where he sits back and ponders for a minute or two and takes ages. And his one word that he gave to describe Jesus, I wonder what you would think of. You know, you'd maybe say good or powerful or king or love or forgiveness or whatever. It's one word to describe Jesus. And after thinking about it for a while, he said, relaxed. <laughs> Jesus is never, ever in a hurry. In fact, one guy coined the phrase, the three mile an hour God. And the reason he's a three mile an hour God is because that is walking pace for a human being. And we are called to walk with God, not to sprint with God. Jesus is never in a rush. In John 7, he's going to the Feast of Tabernacles. People are trying to G him up and get him to move on and go. And he's like, no, I'll go when I'm good and ready. In Mark 5, he gets invited to go to Jairus' house to see Jairus' daughter. He's in no rush. He gets interrupted on the way there by a lady who's bleeding. He's not in a rush. He's not in a hurry. In John 11, he finds out that Lazarus is ill and he knows that Lazarus is going to die. And he's in no rush. He doesn't go for about four days. He's never in a hurry, ever. He's interruptible. He stops for people. You know, one of the things that can really... Put a, put a finger on whether or not we're too busy, is how do we respond to interruptions? Mm-hmm. Again, particularly perceptive if you've got kids, because <laughs> they can interrupt you now and again. Interruptions. When you've got something planned or you're doing and somebody appears at the door, or the phone rings or somebody comes in, how do you respond to an interruption? Jesus was completely interruptible. Over and over and over again. Just a good time in there, the wee phone call coming. Maybe you should take that. Jesus was interruptible. He did not push people away when they came to him. When he was on the way to Jairus' house and that other woman came along, he just stopped everything and he gave her his full undivided attention. Do we do that? Do we do that for people? Or do we sort of pass ourselves with them? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. When he had big crowds that he could minister to, when he'd heard of John the Baptist's death, when he was going to choose his disciples, after he'd healed the leper, he would withdraw again and again and again. He just went off on his own into quiet places. And I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, when am I least like Jesus? And I came to the conclusion, I am least like Jesus when I'm in a rush. When I'm in a hurry is probably when I am least Christ-like. Ask my kids. Don't ask them in front of me. That's probably when I do a a poor job at reflecting the character of my king. When I'm in a rush. When I have too much going on and somebody dares to interrupt me. Here's another quote from someone closer to home. Um, This is something that was said to me in the car in the mornings every day. About probably, I don't know, maybe eight, ten months ago. Every single morning this was being said in the car. Daddy, is anyone going out tonight? Every single morning, to the point that I thought there's something seriously wrong, that there's an expectation almost that someone's going out. The busyness that has come in into our home. Is anyone going out tonight? If we want to be like Jesus, we need to slow it away down. Jesus said the greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor. 
Do we have time for those two things? Are we too busy even doing church activity? So much church activity that we're not loving God and loving our neighbor. We, we are quite intentional here about trying to not overload with a busy schedule so that there's time to do stuff, time to relax, time to rest, time to be with people. People who are in a rush cannot obey that commandment. You do have a choice in all of this, I believe. Now, there are times in life when you don't have a choice. There are times a business just dumps on you and there's very little you can do about it. Please don't feel guilty if you're in one of those seasons. Work might just go nuts and you have no choice. You're, it's out of your control. There are other times in the year maybe that offset that. All right, so don't be feeling guilty if you're just in a really busy season of life. I'm not condemning you for it. I'm, I'm looking at the big picture. I'm looking at what are the things that we can get rid of that we don't need to be doing that are cluttering us up and stopping us from being still in God's presence. Have you ever tried to get a cranky child to take a rest <laughs> or have a nap and you hear, you hear three words coming at you? I'm not tired. You know, the tears are streaming down their cheeks and they're raging in their face. I'm not tired. I wonder sometimes God like that with us. We, he knows we need to rest. He knows we need to slow down, but we're burning the candle at both ends. We're going at it hammer and tongs and we're basically like a stroppy child stamping our feet and shouting back at God, I'm not tired. I don't need to relax. I don't need to be still. I can do this. I can keep going. Mark Buchanan in this, this book, which I'd highly recommend, The Rest of God, says that Sabbath is when you should cease from what is necessary and embrace that which gives life. And by the way, Sabbath is not Sunday, just so you know. Sabbath is a, is a pattern of God in creation of getting rest one day in seven. It doesn't have to be Sunday. It's not really Sunday for me, okay, and for plenty of us. It's just rest, a time of rest and remembering the Lord. The fourth commandment is the longest one. Do not murder gets three words. Remember the Sabbath day gets 102 whenever you read the commandments. Is this important perhaps? And the commandment comes twice in, in the Bible. In Exodus 20, we have the fourth commandment and then we have it again in Deuteronomy 5. Can you go to Exodus 20 just to um, compare the two? Exodus 20 and then Deuteronomy chapter 5. Both of them start off the same way. Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. I always find that funny when I was a kid, the alien within your gates, you know, little green men and all that. For in six days, now listen to, in Exodus 20, God roots this commandment in creation. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in, in Exodus, the commandment is rooted in creation. Now go to Deuteronomy 5 and you'll see it's different. Deuteronomy 5, you get the same command, but this time it is, it is 
referenced and located slightly different. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5. Verse 12 to verse 14 are the same as it was in Exodus, but look at verse 15. It's no longer rooted in creation. In verse 15, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So in Exodus, we're to follow that command and remember creation. In Deuteronomy, we're to follow that command and remember that we have been set free from the taskmasters. We've been set free from the drivenness of always having to produce more bricks with less resources. More, more, more. Work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder. Shame on you for taking a rest. The taskmasters with the whip. We might not have people standing over our lives with whips, but in our heads, I don't know about you, but frequently I find it hard to rest because I feel guilty. Because we're living in a culture that is obsessed with productivity. And to actually stop and do nothing for a while takes a lot of discipline and a lot of effort. There are taskmasters in the church as well. Forgive me, genuinely forgive me if I've ever been one. If I've ever forced things that have become burdensome. One of the reasons we don't do Sunday nights here is because we want people to rest. We want you to spend time with your family. We want you to spend time with the Lord and just relax and be still. Sometimes I think the the schedules that we can run in churches give children in particular a very skewed idea of what rest actually is. Children, Sunday is the day of rest, so we're going to go to church, then we're going to eat our dinner real quick, then you're going to go to Sunday school in the afternoon, then you're going to come home and have some tea, and then you're going to go to church again at night, and then you're going to go home and go to bed. That's the day of rest. Enjoy it. And I don't like that. If there's no time for play, if there's no time for fun, laughter, and crack, if there's no time for just relaxation and stillness, if there's no time to go out and enjoy creation, then we're getting it all wrong. We're getting it all wrong. God drowned the taskmasters in the sea. And whenever those taskmasters come back into your head, you need to do the same thing. Sunday afternoons for me when I was a kid, two things. Both of them involved darts. There was bullseye on TV, and then there was going out and playing darts in the garage with Dad afterwards. That was Sunday afternoons. It wasn't a whole rushing session. It was fun, and it was different from the rest of the week. John Orberg says again that hurry is not a disordered schedule, it is a disordered heart. One of the things that God's convicted me of a lot in the last two years is that I am sinning in my lack of rest. Really been hit hard with that. In my lack of Sabbath, I am sinning. I am breaking commandment of God. I am sort of spitting in his eye and stamping my feet and saying, well, everyone else needs to rest, but I can handle it. We make an excuse. We think we are the exception. I'll be okay. I'm going to do all these things and do them well, and I'll be all right. And I'm like, no, I'm sinning. And in order to stop sinning, I then decided this year to take a day off and work. That was a big move, a big move. But I take it seriously that God says you need to rest. You need to rest. You need to slow down. One of the reasons that Israel went into exile in Babylon was because they did not observe the Sabbath. God does not look well on us when we try to burn the candle at both ends. We're sinning. We are telling our Creator and our Father that we know better than Him. We sometimes have this thing where extreme busyness is almost like a badge of honor. We just wait for someone to ask, you know, how's your week been? And you're like, yeah. 
and you start going through, I did this on Monday night, I did that on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, I did that and that, and then through, and we go through all the things that we've done, wonderful us, all of the productivity and all of the things that we've done and gone to, uh, as if it's a badge of honor. It's not, it's sin. Extreme busyness is sin. Now, mild busyness is okay. It's okay to be mildly busy. It's okay to have those seasons where a, lot, where a few things come at you and you have to deal with them. But just a lifestyle of extreme busyness and no rest is sin in the eyes of God. Jesus invites us, if you go to Matthew 11 or look at it on the screen, whatever you want, Jesus invites us to come to him. He says in uh, in verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Many people fall into that category. <laughs> weary and burdened. Tired and too much to do. Too much to carry. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus does this on other occasions in the Gospels as well. In Mark 6, there's, a, there's, a, there's an occasion where the disciples don't even have time to eat. They're that busy. And Jesus says to them, he doesn't say, let's go to the drive-thru. Okay, and get a happy meal. I'm going to eat it real quick in the car before we go on to our next ministry engagement. He says to them, come away with me to a desert place and let's rest. That's beautiful. That's how God speaks to you. The devil says you need to keep busy and you need to do more. Whereas God says, come apart for a while with me to a desert place and rest. And Jesus here says, come to me. He says, I've got a yoke for you. <laughs> it's like country talk in Northern Ireland, isn't it? I'm going to give you a new yoke. I used to always think the yoke was a double yoke. Where, where you'd have two oxen together and one part of it went over the neck of one of the oxen and the other part went over the neck of the other oxen. And it meant they had to move in time with each other. And you maybe would have had an older one with a younger one or, or something like I don't know, or stronger and a weaker or more experienced at pulling the plow. But you would have had these two together. But I'm not so sure anymore. A few people have, have caused me to rethink that. And the yoke actually may well have been something like that. It may well have been the yoke that a man would have worn if he was carrying, say, a couple of buckets at the end of those two chains of, of water or whatever. And the yoke was fashioned to, to sit, you know, over your, over your shoulders with, you know, obviously that opening for your neck. And Jesus, for a living, was a carpenter. And he would have made these. Carpenters did not just make furniture, they would have made yokes. And you came every now and again as you grew and as the shape of your body changed and as you worked hard and your shoulders got a bit broader, you would go to the carpenter and the carpenter would take the yoke and adjust the yoke. Cut out a few wee bits of wood here and there, smooth it off so it wasn't rubbing on you, it wasn't hurting you. Adjusting the yoke so that you could carry the burden you're meant to carry. And I think what Jesus might be saying here is stop carrying the wrong yoke. Stop burdening them yourselves with stuff that you're not meant to actually carry. Come to me. I have a yoke for you. But it's light and it's easy to carry and it's perfectly shaped for you. Come to me. Keep coming to me so I can keep adjusting it so that it's comfortable on you, that it doesn't wear you out. You ever carried a yoke that's not your yoke? 
in ministry or in just whatever, you're doing something, you know, this is not my calling. I'm trying to squeeze into something that was not made for me. Jesus says, lay that down. In, in context, he's talking about the religion of the Pharisees. He said, lay it down. Don't carry that. You're weary and you're burdened by the stuff that you're carrying. He says, come to me and I'll give you a yoke that's made for you. That's crafted for you, for your shoulders, for you to carry the stuff that I want you to carry. I'm not going to burden you down. What I've got for you is light and it's easy. And if we in in serving God and in ministry are burdened and crushed, we're carrying the wrong yoke. We've got something that we shouldn't have that we need to offload and say, this is not me. I'm not designed to carry this. It wasn't designed for me. I'm going to Jesus so he can put the yoke on me that I'm meant to have. I think that's maybe a better picture of what Jesus actually means here. Jesus the carpenter. J.R.R. Tolkien um, in, in Lord of the Rings, there's a beautiful scene where this tired little band of adventurers go to a place called Rivendell to rest. And it's the most stunning place. Waterfalls and forests and trees and valleys and mountains. It's just absolutely incredible. And whenever they, whenever they get there, he describes it and he says, For a while the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. That's what happens when we rest, when we Sabbath, when we be still with the Lord. All fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but it ceased to have any power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them and they were content with each good day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and every word and every song. That's Sabbath. Rest, recovery, revival in our hearts, hope and health arising, the things that cause fear pushed away. That's rest. Jesus talked about abiding. Abiding takes time. Abiding in the vine, life flowing. Why have I put this in as being a destructive lifestyle? It's in Exodus 14. Let me just read it as we close. Moses is standing at the Red Sea and he gets instructions from God. He's got the Red Sea raging in front of him. He's got Pharaoh's bloodthirsty army coming flat out along the desert behind him. And Moses says to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will ne- you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. How many of us miss the victories of God because we're trying to fight the battles ourselves instead of being still and allowing him to do his thing? quieting our hearts and just saying I'm not fighting this you're fighting it and I'm just going to rest that was the most the most con- counterintuitive advice ever as m- the position that Moses was in he's like be still don't do anything <laughs> imagine all the people looking at him saying really yeah we have the sea we have the army and you just want us to stand here yeah and sometimes God will say that to you in fact frequently he will all raging around you and he just says Stand still. 
be still and know that I am God. Don't just be still. Don't just take a nap. That's not the rest I'm talking about. That's good as well. But I'm not just talking about ceasing from all consciousness. (laughs) Be still and know that I am God. Focus on me. Turn your thinking towards me. That cannot be done in a rush. Cannot be done in a rush. So back to Dallas. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Take that away and do something with it. Take something that is just dominating you that you can get rid of and get rid of it. And you know what? That might involve a wee bit of pain. (laughs) It might involve a bit of pain. Just killing something. Maybe a, a, a source of additional income or whatever and you're just like, I'm too busy. Go. I need to be still. Yeah? Amen. Father, thank you for the gift of rest. Father, I pray that this room this morning would be a place of rest, refreshment, restoration, Lord, hope and health, revival, Lord, of our hearts and our souls. I pray, Lord, even in this place, you would breathe on us and you would give us the energy of Jesus. I pray, God, that we would be open to your Holy Spirit and you would put things, put your finger on things, Lord, that we are giving our time and our energy to and it's time to let them go so that we can be still. So that we will not miss things. I pray, Father, you'd give us the strength to drown every taskmaster. Everything that cracks the whip and tries to make us slaves once again. Strengthen us, Lord. Father, may this church community be marked not by frenetic activity, but by stillness and the presence of God. May all striving cease. May there not be a sound of a hammer or a chisel in this house. Nothing of the flesh, Lord. All your spirit. Help us to be still, Father.